welcome to the preaching ministry podcast of Mount Pisgah Baptist Church in Easley, South Carolina. Our goal is to exalt the Savior, evangelize the sinner, and encourage the saint through faithful exposition of God's Word. If you got your Bibles, find the book of Nehemiah. Find Psalm and turn left. And you'll find Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah chapter 2. We have started a series. This is our fourth message in the series through the book of Nehemiah. And we called the series that we're going through Against All Odds. The walls of Jerusalem are broken down. And Nehemiah is going to be called of God to go and rebuild those walls, a monumental task that Nehemiah is going to take on. We know Nehemiah is in Persia. After the Babylonian captivity, many of the Jewish folks went back to Jerusalem. They rebuilt the temple, but the walls have not yet been rebuilt. Nehemiah, a young man who is working as the cupbearer for the king, is going to be used mightily of God to go back and rebuild those walls. He's just an ordinary guy. Some say that his position that he had there in Susa, there working for the king would have caused him to maybe have a little bit of wealth about him, but, but he forsook all of that to pursue what God had put on his heart to rebuild those cities and rebuild those walls in a once powerful city. But before he took on the task that lied ahead, Nehemiah spent some time in prayer. And the Bible says when he heard about the walls, you remember his brothers came to tell him about the plight of the people of God. And his brothers came and said, the walls are in disrepair. The gates have been burned with fire. We are in a mess. Before Nehemiah ever moved a muscle to go forward, he moved his muscles to bend down. And he wept and he prayed and he fasted. For before he would take that next step, he needed to get a word from God. And graduates, this is what I would say to you. Whatever that next step for you is, we pray that God would guide you into whatever that next step is and that he would give you protection. He would give you provision for whatever it is he has ahead of you. And whatever that is, know this, he writes a better story than you write. Allow him to guide your heart. Allow him to guide your desires and allow him to author your life. It's exactly what Nehemiah did. Church is exactly what we should be doing both individually and collectively. That as we begin to go forward with this building program that God has put on our hearts to do in the next couple of months, we, we, we need to find ourselves in a posture of prayer. That's exactly where Nehemiah was. So Nehemiah goes to the king. And Nehemiah asks the king for some protection and some provision. You remember he said, I need some time off. I need some money and I need some timber to be able to build this wall. And the king gave him everything that he asked for. And today, Nehemiah is going to make this journey from Susa to Jerusalem to assess what is going on. We're going to see him assess the wall. We're going to see that he's attacked by the world, but then we're going to see that he answers 
the wicked. So this morning, I want us to consider, let us arise and build. Nehemiah chapter two, beginning in verse nine. Would you stand together as we read God's word together? Nehemiah chapter two, beginning in verse nine. Nehemiah says, then I came to the governors beyond the river, gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, heard of it, it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. And I arose in the night I and some few men with me, neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode upon. And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well and the dung poured and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down. And the gates thereof were consumed with fire. Then I went on to the gate of the fountain and the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. Then went I up into the night by the brook and viewed all the wall, turned back and entered by the gate of the valley and so returned. Nehemiah has gone on a stealth mission, if you will. And he's only gone out at night so he can assess the walls. And he says, it's just as bad as they said it was. And in verse 16, the rulers knew not whither I went or what I did. Neither had I as yet told it to the Jews, nor the priests, nor the nobles, nor the rulers, nor the rest that did the work. And then I said to them, you see the distress that we are in? How Jerusalem lieth waste and the gates thereof are burned with fire? Come, let us build up the wall of Jerusalem that we be no more reproach. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. But when Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the servant, the Ammonite, and Geshem, the Arabian, heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, what is this thing that you do? Will you rebel against the king? Then answered I them and said unto them, the God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion, no right, no memorial in Jerusalem. Heavenly Father, as we walk through the passes that you have assigned to us today, I pray, Lord, you've arranged the atmosphere in such a way that would make preaching effective. Lord, we would hear directly from you exactly, Lord, the walls that need to rebuild in our own lives. And Lord, the fact that we need to acknowledge you before we take on any task that lies before us. Challenge and change us through the word of God today. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. Nehemiah took advantage of the opportunity that stood right in front of him. But before, as I said in my introduction, before he would begin to take on this monumental task, he would kneel and pray. 
And God gave him passion. God gave him permission. God gave him provision. And God gave him protection. We too should be praying about the task that lies ahead of us, both personally and as a church, that God would do the same thing and provide protection and provision for us. Nehemiah is going to gather the people together. And he's going to challenge them and say this, let us arise and build. What is it that needs to be rebuilt or built for the first time in your own life? Does the wall of prayer need to be rebuilt that we talked about a couple of weeks ago? Does there need to be a construction project of the wall of faith inside of your soul? Does there need to be a rebuilding project and rebuilding the family and relationships inside of the family? Maybe you've come today, your marriage is hanging by a thread. Your relationship with your children is very fractured and you don't know what to do. Listen, I want you to know there's a God in heaven that rebuilds walls, that does the miracles that we could only dream about. But we must start by first bowing a knee and speaking to the one who is writing the story. And Nehemiah challenges the people, let us arise and build. If you're taking notes this morning, I see there's at least three things we can pull from this text. Number one, I see the author of this work. The author of this work. We talked about this last week. How many of you remember the hand behind the headlines that God's always writing a story? This is not Nehemiah's story. This is God's story. And history is nothing but his story. It is always God who is writing the story. And he is ultimately authoring exactly what we read here in the book of Nehemiah. Some 232 years ago, God began to write a story about Mount Pisgah Baptist Church. Mount Pisgah was founded in 1791. And here, 232 years later, here we are. And God is writing a story. And it is my hope that if God tarries another 232 years, which I don't think that's going to happen, but, but if he does, if God tarries another 232 years before his coming, it is my prayer that we have built the right kind of walls here that will withstand the storms of the culture and that will withstand the, the, the opposition from the enemy. And this would be a place that would be going and growing and glowing for the glory of God 232 years from today. Because God started writing this story and it is going to be him that will complete this story. Graduates, God began writing a story about you and he'll be the one to complete it. And if he writes the story, it'll be better than any story you can write because he's a better author than what we are. And his ideas for us are always better than our ideas for us. There's the author of this story. There's three things about that. Number one, notice with me, Nehemiah's authorization. Nehemiah's authorization. It's found there in verse nine. He says, I came to the governors beyond the river and gave them what? The king's letters. Now, why did Nehemiah have to have a letter from the king? All right, so he goes to King Artaxerxes and he says, look, I need to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild. Well, he says, I need to go back to Jerusalem. He doesn't yet tell him exactly what he's going to do, but he does ask for some provision and some protection. But he, but he goes to the king and he, and he says, I'm going back to Jerusalem. And there, had, there, were, there were many provinces and countries that he would go through on a 12-week journey. And each one that he went into, he had to present some papers. 
so that the leadership in that country would allow him to enter in and allow him to pass through. He had to have some authorization to enter a different country. That's a novel idea. (laughs) Some of y'all ain't picking up what I'm putting down. That's all right. Because these countries that surrounded Israel hated Israel. They despised the Jews and they loved the fact that they were downtrodden. They loved the fact that these walls had been broken down. They loved the fact that the Jewish people were struggling. So they didn't necessarily want to see them rise up, if you will. But Nehemiah had to have the right paperwork. He abided by what the rules of the government were. He just said, if that's what I got to do to go, then that's what I'll do to go. And the king gave him these letters, his, his authorization. But then notice Nehemiah's army. Not only did the king give him some authorization, he gave him an army. Now the king, last part of verse nine, sent captains of the army and horsemen with him. Why? Because the king knew exactly what could happen to Nehemiah. The king knew that others would come against him, that that there would be opposition. So the king provided some protection. Now we don't have a description of this trip. We just know it was about a three month trip and we don't know much about it, but we do know this. He did arrive in Jerusalem under the protecting hand of God. And he was on official business of the king. So after some weeks, he arrives there in Jerusalem and we know that he spends about three days resting according to verse 11. So we see his authorization. We see Nehemiah's army, but then we see Nehemiah's adversaries. His arrival in Jerusalem would not go unnoticed. How many of you understand that anytime you decide to take a stand for the Lord, anytime you stand to take a determined to go forward for the cause of Christ, there is going to be some opposition. Anytime you say, Lord, here am I, send me. When you begin that journey, there is going to be opposition. Regardless of what that is, regardless of what it is you are building or rebuilding, opposition will come just like it did for Nehemiah. Verse 10, Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite heard of it and it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. You see, progress was about to happen in Jerusalem, but not everybody was excited about it. Not not everybody wanted to see Jerusalem restored. Not everybody wanted to see those walls rebuilt. And so we meet these guys for the first time, a couple of scoundrels, if you will. And we're gonna see them a little bit later in chapter two, and we'll see them a little bit later in the book of Nehemiah, but two ringleaders specifically are mentioned in verse 10, Sanballat and Tobiah. Sanballat, listen, was the governor of Samaria. So as the governor of Samaria, he certainly did not want to see the southern kingdom of Judah restored. He certainly did not want to see the city of Jerusalem rise up again to its former prominence. And Sanballat likely felt threatened And so he wanted to keep Judah and Jerusalem inferior to Samaria. 
And what we're going to discover is this is the first mention of one of Nehemiah's arch nemesis through the book of Nehemiah. Because there's always opposition. So there's Sambalat, but then there's a guy named Tobiah. Now there's some interesting stuff about Tobiah the Ammonite. The Ammonites were sworn enemies of the Jews. You can find that in Deuteronomy chapter 23. And Tobiah, here's what's interesting. Tobiah was related to some of the people that were going with Nehemiah to build the wall. All right, so let's explain it like this. All of you in caps and gowns, y'all are on my team and we're going to build a wall, all right? I'm your leader, Nehemiah, and we're getting ready to go build a wall. And here's what Tobiah, Tobiah was related to some of y'all. And Tobiah was some of y'all's good friends. But what you don't know is Tobiah is an agent of the enemy. Because what Tobiah did is leveraged his relationships with you guys because y'all thought he was a friend. But what he was really doing, he was kind of a, uh, an operative of the enemy. He would embed himself and take advantage of your friendship so you would tell him what we were up to. And then when you told him what we were up to, he would go back and tell Sanballat. So let me illustrate this for you. Jeremy is Tobiah, okay? And what he does is he comes over here and y'all think he can sing and he can do all this and he uses all that to try to garner favor with you so you'll talk to him. And then you start talking to him and say, you know what, Nehemiah told us that we were going to be moving Wednesday evening at about six o'clock. Well, then what Tobiah would do is he'd go back and tell Sam Ballet what was up and then they would try to mess us up. So what are you saying, pastor? I'm saying, don't talk to Jeremy. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying, stay away from him. Here's what I'm saying. There are always people that will try to befriend you that sometimes have bad intentions. And we need to pray God would give us discernment over when that is happening to us. Because here's what Nehemiah is going to find out, church. Here's what Nehemiah is going to find out. He's going to discover that some of his greatest enemies are not on the outside. Some of them are on the inside. Because they tell to buy anything he wants to know. Whenever he wants to know it. So there's Nehemiah's authorization. There's Nehemiah's army. But then there's Nehemiah's adversaries. And here's Tobiah gathering some intelligence. And the compromisers that would give him that information became a problem for Nehemiah. And as difficult maybe as it became, understand this, God was the one writing the story and he's gonna finish his story. So there's the author of the work. Secondly, there's the assessment of the walls. Nehemiah shows up and he begins to assess the walls. He makes his journey to Jerusalem. He arrives there safely and he's gonna go out at night and he's gonna observe what's happening. And everything that his brothers told him, he finds is true. Man, the walls are in disrepair. The gates have been burned with fire. The people of God are, are downtrodden and, and defeated. And, and he sees the distress that they are in. And he gathers his people together. And he says this in verse 17. You see the distress that we are in? Nehemiah saw more at night than the people of God did during the day. Because here's what began to happen. They had become accustomed 
to the walls being torn down. They just got used to it. I remember when I first got here in Mount Pisgah, I remember in one of those back hallways, there was some carpet. And that carpet did this. I mean, it was all bunched up. I was like, so I put my arm around one of the men that had been here for a long time. I said, do you see that? Here's what he said. Do I see what? I said, do you see that carpet bunched up all up and down through there? He said, here's what he said to me. He said, pastor, I guess it's been that way so long. I just don't see it anymore. And the walls of Jerusalem being broken down and the plight of those people being one of distress. They'd just gotten used to it. And Nehemiah needed to awaken the people to the problem. John Butler said this, our land has gotten so used to the fact that we lieth in waste both morally and spiritually that it's difficult to get people to realize that our society is in great need because here's what has happened in our culture. You and I, we have just grown accustomed to seeing sinfulness blaring across our televisions and what used to bother us doesn't bother us anymore. We have grown accustomed to watching sinfulness march itself down Main Street and we've been lulled to sleep because we're scared to death of the cancel culture. And if you say something about that today, you might get canceled. I'm here to tell you, you better pay attention to what that crowd is up to. This LGBTQ crowd, they are up to something and it is ungodly and you can cancel me if you want to, but I'm here to tell you the next push for this is pedophilia is going to made, be made normal in this society. And it's time for the church of God to stand up and say, something's got to stop. We've just gotten used to it. We've grown accustomed to it. We don't want to say anything about it because we'll get canceled. Well, I'm not going to stand before you and give an account one day. I'll stand before a holy God one day. And I want to say I stood firm on the solid rock of ages. We stood here on the Bible. We stood on the authority of the B-I-B-L-E because that's the book for us. Amen. And we as a church will stand and what God says is right is going to be right. And what God says is wrong is going to be wrong. We've gotten used to the to the media just lying to us over and over and over and it doesn't even bother us anymore. We've gotten accustomed to the government lying about each other and lying to us. We've just gotten used to sinfulness and we've just been lulled into a sleep. And I'd say this, it's time for the church of God to rise up, amen, and just be the church. Some of y'all nervous. <laughs> Some of y'all looking at me like you nervous. They might find out I go over there, that crazy guy. Listen, I'm not mad about it. I'm not mad about it. I have folks that will watch our live stream every week. They'll dissect every word I say, and they'll send me a nasty gram. And I just smile at them. So would you excuse me for just a moment? I want to look right in that camera. And I want to say to you, I love you. And I love you so much that I don't want you to spend eternity in a place called hell. And Jesus died for you that you wouldn't have to. And he loves you and so does this pastor and so does this church. And if you're spending all your time trying to dissect everything I say so you can come at me, I love you. You're wasting your time. It don't bother me. Have a good day. <laughs>
People are crazy. You say, really? I'll give me an email address. I'll forward some of them to you. You can answer them. It can happen anywhere. It can happen to us. That we just get so accustomed to sinfulness, it doesn't bother us anymore. I remember as a kid, the shows that we watched were, I mean, I thought they were wholesome. And then I go back and watch them now and I go, God, they said some pretty crazy stuff. But we turn our TV and it just doesn't bother us anymore. That's exactly where the nation of Israel had gotten. And Nehemiah says to them, don't y'all see the distress that we're in? It's time to do something. Nehemiah did a couple of things. Number one, he fixed his focus. You see, the task that was in front of him wasn't his idea. It was God's idea. He said in verse 12 that God had put this in his heart, had put this in his heart to do. And whatever God's put in your heart to do, fix your focus on him. And then he will direct your path. He fixed his focus, but then he formed a fellowship. In verse 17, he begins to encourage those that were with him. Because Nehemiah knew there were strength in numbers. Nehemiah knew that if they could all come together, that sweet unity would provide strength for them for the days ahead. And look with me if you got your Bible still open. Verse 17. He says, you see the distress that we, uh, circle that word we, are in. And then he says, come let what? Us build. Verse verse 18, last part of verse 18. And they said, let who? Us rise up and build. Verse 20, then I answered them and said, the God of heaven, he'll prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. Build. Here's what Nehemiah is beginning to understand is that there is much greater opportunity for success when we're all together. Psalm 133.1 says how pleasant it is when the brethren dwells together in unity. You ever seen how these geese fly? They fly in that V formation, Right? You ever notice that one leg of that V is longer than the other? You know why that is? There's more geese in that line. (laughs) That's a dad joke. Just for Emma. But here's what they said. That goose that's out front will fly against the headwind and everybody will get into formation. And then when that geese or that goose tires out, he'll go to another spot and another goose will take the lead. And when they are in that formation where they are together, geese that are together can fly 72% farther than a goose that is flying by himself. As the church of God, we need to get in formation that we might be in unity, that we might accomplish the task that God has before us, knowing that we'll do much more together than we can apart. And he fixed his focus and then he formed his fellowship. 
There's the author of the work. There's the assessment of the walls. But then there's the attack of the world. As we said earlier, the opposition will always arise when you set your mind to accomplish what God has put in your heart. Here they, here they are. Here's the culprits again. Sanballat, the Horonite, Tobiah. And now we meet a new guy by the name of Geshem. And we see not only the culprits, but their conduct. What is it that they were going to do? Notice what they wanted to do. It says that they laughed us to scorn and despised us. You know, ultimately what the enemy would love, for, love to do to what your plans are, he wants to distract and to discourage. Whatever God's put in your heart to do, maybe some of you even sitting there this morning have said, man, I, I'm gonna find my spot in an altar this morning and I'm gonna pray that God would rebuild the wall of prayer in my life. When, 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 when the invitation is given, I'm gonna find myself in, a, in, a, in an altar and I'm gonna pray God would rebuild the wall of Bible study in my life. I'm gonna pray God would rebuild the wall of relationships with my spouse, with my children. I'm gonna pray God would, would, would give me the, the, the wisdom and guide my steps over this decision that I have to make. What, what, whatever it is, you, you, you've already decided, I'm gonna spend some time this morning in prayer at the altar. And the enemy, what he wants to do is to distract you. Because if he can distract you, you won't do what it is that he has called you to do. And then you'll find yourself in a place of discouragement. How many of you remember a guy by the name of Yogi Berra? Yogi Berra was a catcher for the New York Yankees. And Yogi Berra, one of the things that he loved to do with hitters when they would come and get in the batter box is he would talk to them. And his whole goal in talking to them was to try to distract them. Because if he could distract them, they wouldn't be focused on hitting the ball that was coming at 90 miles an hour. Well, the New York Yankees are playing the Milwaukee Braves. And Hank Aaron, greatest hitter likely that's ever played, steps into the batter's box. And Yogi Berra says to Hank Aaron, hey, Hank, you're holding the bat wrong. You're supposed to hold it where you can read the logo. You can't read the logo the way you're holding the bat. You're holding the bat wrong. You're supposed to be able to read the logo when you hold the bat, Hank. They said the very next pitch, Hank Aaron hit one over the fence in left field for a home run. He runs around the bases, and as he crosses home plate, he looks at Yogi Bear and he says this, I didn't come here to read. He was focused on the task at hand and he would not be distracted by others that were either trying to laugh him to scorn or that were despising him. Listen, you take a stand for Jesus. Unfortunately, in the day in which we live, you'll be laughed at. You'll be despised. Some of you are going to a Christian college. Some of you will go to a secular college and then a, on both campuses. Don't think because you're going to a Christian college there ain't crazy stuff you can get a hold of. Amen? Y'all weren't supposed to say amen right there. <laughs> but you take a stand for Jesus and there'll come a time they'll laugh at you. There'll come a time they'll despise you. But I want you to listen to how Nehemiah answered 
his adversaries. Notice how Nehemiah answers the wicked. In verse 20, watch what it says here. Then answered I them and said unto them, the God of heaven, he will prosper us. You hear any doubt in that whatsoever? (laughs) I don't. I don't. I don't hear any doubt in Nehemiah's claim whatsoever that the God of heaven, he will prosper us. So what God had put in Nehemiah's heart to do after the opposition came against him and they tried to distract him and they tried to discourage him, they laughed at him, they despised him and the opposition tried to put a stop to everything that the Lord had put in Nehemiah's heart to do. But Nehemiah said this, I'm not going to be the one doing it. It's going to be the God in heaven that's going to do it and he will prosper. I don't know what you might be facing today. I don't know what wall you're trying to overcome. I don't know what wall you're trying to rebuild, but I'm here to tell you, if God's put it in your heart to rebuild that wall, hear me this morning, the God of heaven, he will prosper you. That's not some feel good, name it and claim it craziness. That's just what the Bible says. What God puts in your heart to do, you obey his calling. You follow the path that he has for you and he will prosper you. What wall you need to rebuild? What is the wall you need to spend some time working on. Could be it's time to rebuild the wall of prayer as we've talked about the last couple of weeks. Could be it's time to rebuild the wall of Bible study, rebuild the wall of relationships. Could be that there needs to be a construction project that only God can do in your heart and there needs to be a wall of faith built. Because he's the one that'll build that wall. He builds all the walls. He just lets us get in on it. Could be you're here today and you don't know where you're going to spend eternity. You know that there's something else beyond this life, but you just have never surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus. The Bible says we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. I, I, I don't think it'd be hard for me to convince every single person in here that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the Bible says that the wages of that sin is what? Death. That means spiritual death. That means that we should be separated from God for all of eternity in a place called hell. That's what we deserve. That's what we have earned because of our sin. The second part of that verse in Romans chapter six and verse 23 says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And in Romans 5, 8, he says, but God commended his sins toward us and that while we were yet, what? Sinners, Christ did what? Died for us. That's good news. Because what that says is this, the death that I earned because of my sin, Jesus died in my place on the cross. Oh yes, I'm gonna die physically but I'll never die spiritually because I'll live forever in heaven because there came a day in my life that I repented of my sins and placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. 
You see, when Jesus reveals to you your lost condition, there's the time. Repent of your sin. Place your faith and trust in Jesus. Maybe there needs to be a wall of faith built in your life. If so, you've never been saved. When we give the invitation in just a moment, I want to ask you to come. Just put your hand in mine or one of the pastors down front and make this statement. I'm lost. I need to be saved. You can say, I don't know where I'm spending eternity and I'd sure like to know. We would love to take the Bible and show you what the Bible says about salvation. There are others in here, maybe you just need to find a place of prayer today and begin rebuilding the wall of prayer, the wall of Bible study, the wall of relationships, whatever it is. But then as a church body is Mount Pisgah, maybe we need to find a spot on an altar and just pray that God would give us that sweet unity that Nehemiah desired for his team as they took on the task of rebuilding the wall. Whatsoever he says to you during these moments, you do it. As we stand to our feet all over the worship center, you join me this morning in praying that God would do what only he can do in our lives and in the life of this precious church. You come as we sing. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the preaching ministry podcast of Mount Pisgah Baptist Church. If you'd like additional information, please visit mtpisgah.cc.